If you're a small business owner looking to grow or expand your business, check out OnDeck Business Loans. OnDeck offers business loans online from $5,000 to $500,000, and their simple application process only takes 10 minutes. Unlike banks, they'll give you a decision quickly, and funding is as fast as one day. Get a free consultation with an OnDeck loan advisor. Visit OnDeck.com podcast. This is the Customer Equity Accelerator, a weekly show for marketing executives who need to accelerate customer-centric thinking and digital maturity. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe of Ambition Data. This show features innovative guests who share quick wins on how to improve your bottom line while creating happier, more valuable customers. Ready to accelerate? Let's go. Welcome to episode one of the Customer Equity Accelerator. Today we're going to start at the very beginning with the definition of customer equity and why you should care. Let's start with why. On April 14th, 2015, an article titled Why Strong Customer Relationships Trump Powerful Brands appeared in Harvard Business Review. And don't worry, I'll include the link in our podcast page. But this article was pretty much revolutionary. What the authors did is they took data from 6,000 different merger and acquisitions that occurred between 2003 and 2013, so over a 10-year period, and they classified the value of brands expressed through trademarks and other things and the value of customers. And they charted it over the 10-year period to see where the question was shaking out, the question of, since the birth of e-commerce, is there more impact from customer equity or is there more impact from brand equity? And what was so fascinating in this chart that they created is the way that the two items started and how they moved over the 10-year period. So when you pull up the chart, you'll see something that looks like this. The percentage of enterprise value is on the left-hand side, and the column goes up to about 25%. There's a gray line that starts at about 19%, and that is the line for brand value. There's another line that starts at about 9%, and that is the line for customer value. And year over year, as they move forward, they start to change. And right at about 2007 to 2008, maybe 2009, the equity lines change, and customer value starts to grow, and brand value starts to decrease. And and they've been growing and decreasing all along, but the spot with which they switch is right around 2007, 2008. And then they continue to switch. It's not like they stay interlocked and then kind of continue interlocked. No, they actually spread apart again until it's almost a 100% flip. The customer value ends up at about 18% and the brand value ends up at about 11%. So these two lines show the declining value of brands and the rise of customer relationship. Fascinating. But you have to ask yourself, okay, 
what happened at this time? You know, it wasn't like the internet was just invented at this time period, no. But, you know, some other interesting data I pulled on the side showed two things that happened at the same time period. One had to do with social media. You had the rise of social media that was, you know, well on fire in the early 2000s and started to really peak right around 2007, 2008. So what social media means, what the impact of that is, the data coming in from customers is one, bigger because it's coming from mobile devices, not just desktops, and two, geographically contextual because now I can tell if you're standing in my store, if you're standing around the corner, if you're standing somewhere else. And the second piece that drove this or happened in correlation with this whole brand mapping was that mobile devices became larger than desktops in terms of the volume of activity coming through these devices. So it wasn't just that social media was big, it was that for the first time, we actually saw more action on mobile devices than we ever saw on desktop. In fact, today, I think you'd be hard pressed to remember what it was like to always have to go back to your computer to look something up and not be able to do it on your mobile device. It's just so inherently uh, attached to us. So the why of customer equity, just to summarize, is if you're not yet a CEO, you should know that your CEO cares deeply about customer equity. Why? Because customer equity is how businesses are valued. And when a business has high valuation, that's power. It's market power and it's eventually money in the bank. So if your company is not paying attention or not paying enough attention to customer equity, then you're missing a big chunk of valuation and you're probably slipping in the market as well. But we haven't really talked about what customer equity is. What's the actual definition? So customer equity is actually the total lifetime value of all your current and future customers. It's the sum of all value you'll ever realize from your customers. Now you're probably thinking, oh my God, I've walked into the accounting department. What does this possibly have to do with me as a marketer? Well, I bet you've heard of customer centricity. Maybe it's even been commonly talked about inside your organization, but I want to share with you the real definition of customer centricity, which is taking actions to improve customer lifetime value. It's not just putting the customer at the heart of your organization, and you can tell the difference. Here's what to listen for. You can tell the difference when you hear customer used as an aggregate like all customers, versus when specific customers are being talked about. When you take each individual customer's lifetime value and add it up, you get customer equity. The action of using that information to increase customer lifetime value is customer centricity. And here's the big connection. Remember all that digital, mobile, social, e-commerce data that drove the switch in customer equity valuation that we talked about at the very beginning? Well, when you use this data correctly, it allows you to connect your everyday customer-centric actions to customer equity. And that's not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. 
Some people call this digital transformation, but I personally think that undervalues the customer. And some people call it digital maturity. I like to call it the journey to customer centricity, and I like to draw it out as a maturity curve. The journey to customer centricity charts completeness of customer view on the left or y-axis and the speed with which you can take action on that information on the right or x-axis. Now I'll provide a link on the podcast page to a short video that shows this visually. There are six stages and two pullbacks. You didn't think it was all smooth sailing to the top, did you? When I first put this chart together, I actually looked at mountains and I thought about how people traverse up mountains and I've actually climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and it was indeed uphill most of the way, some parts steeper than others, and then there were some pullbacks. So I think it's interesting how this is reflected in nature. Anyways, um, stage one is what I call the foundation. It is long and flat. You basically get in the game and you have to be able to hear and let's say digitally see customers before you can build any kind of customer equity. Stage number two is early insights. These are pockets of insight that form when information starts to come through an organization. It's a small uphill in shape and it might be something like, you know, you get a web report, you get a campaign report, you get an email report. And all those little pockets give you little bits of insight, but it's hard to do a lot with them together. But that actually leads into the first pullback, which I call the pit of reporting despair. It is a representative of an explosion of reports where nothing really seems to fit together. You know, you'll have the paid search report and that doesn't fit together with the transactional report and other than over time and other pieces of information just all flowing through and you end up with tons and tons of information and very confused stakeholders that just say, oh my gosh, could you please just put this together for us so that we understand more about what to do? And that leads to stage three, which I call the departmental alignment. The departmental alignment is a very steep uphill. It's when you need to snap together all your different marketing channels, often around campaigns such as website, email, paid search. Maybe you can even put testing in. And some people call this multi-channel reporting. But the challenge in this stage is always reaching across different parts of your department and getting everybody to kind of row the same way. So if one group is really all interested in awareness, they may not be thinking about things in the same way that another group might be interested in conversion. How do you knit all that data? it together? How do you give it the right context of the customer journey? It can be very tricky. That's multi-channel reporting, stage three. Now, stage four is about organizational alignment or promise. 
that is longer and flatter than the other stages. In this part, we're bringing together cross-departmental data, such as sales information. Who did the sales force call on? What did that call look like? What happened? Business intelligence information that might come from back-end reporting systems or master transactional systems. The marketing data is included there too, but also support systems such as chat support or call center reports. Some very interesting call center files, a voice of the customer, very prominent here. How do you form a more holistic customer view across all your different departments? That is, of course, where you need a chief analytics officer or sometimes a CDO to start to come in and reach across the different organizational silos and help them come together. But oh no, the next stage is a pullback. And that's often what the CAO runs smack into is what I call the pit of technology despair. As you try to pull all these different pieces of data together, you quickly run into issues about storage and ownership and security and how does data connect and who has rights to change the data and how should the grain of data be expressed. Grain refers to the fundamental unit of the data. Is it a customer grain? Is it a hit grain? Is it an impression grain? Is it something else altogether? So all these things have to come together in order for data to make sense. Then we move on to stage five, which is the promise realized. This is a steep uphill again, and it's where, again, led by the chief analytics officer or the chief data officer, the organization starts to say, okay, we've got data together, but now we need to give it meaning. And when we give it meaning, we have to align it to the company's strategic vision. And the way that gets aligned is, what I call snapping together organizational metrics into the critical few. And this is a very challenging stage, takes a long time to accomplish, but it aligns the organization and starts to realize the promise of all that data. Finally, we have stage six, which is the pullback from executive leadership into everyday accountability. This is a flatter stage. It's still uphill, but it's not as steep. And it's the way things get done here is kind of what I like to call it. The cultural change has happened. It's the end point of culture change that's been percolating all along. Now, six stages is a lot to get through. It doesn't happen overnight. It's important to keep moving forward on these stages, mostly for competitive advantage. And we talked about customer equity at the beginning, but what's really driving the urgency behind that is the competition. And that includes the competitors you know, as well as the fast movers that you haven't even seen coming yet. Now, in the podcast we have coming up, I'm going to help you discover where your organization is and what you should be thinking about as well as what you should not be thinking about. We're going to dive into each of these stages and help you understand what that stage sounds like, what it looks like, and what specifically you should be doing. So to summarize today's podcast, we talked about three points. Why should you care about customer equity? Well, because it becomes real dollars and market strength. Number two, what is customer equity? 
As we said at the beginning, customer equity is the total lifetime value of all your current and future customers. And that's the sum of the total value you'll ever realize from your customers. It's really a big, powerful number. It's usually measured in millions or billions. Good stuff. And finally, what can you do? Well, the maturity curve helps us understand that there is a roadmap, a customer centricity roadmap. It's not magic. All you have to do is follow it and you can get results. So in the upcoming podcast, I'll help you discover where your organization is, what you should be thinking about, a little bit about what you shouldn't be thinking about, and how to know when your company has graduated from one stage to the next. Finally, remember all the links we discussed today can be found at ambitiondata.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining today's show. This is Allison. Just a few things before you head out. Every Friday, I put together a short bulleted list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. I actually call this email the signal. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are doing amazing work building customer equity. If you'd like to receive this nugget of goodness each week, you can sign up at ambitiondata.com and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoy the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.